Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Warmer CC podcast. Of course, in association with Henry Weston's old mate, that is the separate podcast that I run myself. Anyone watching on YouTube will instantly recognise the character on your screens, Mr. Dan Giles, Daniel Giles. We'll come to him in a minute before we get into the good stuff. Let's just remind you, if you are watching us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel, share us around. If you're listening to us on a podcast provider such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, all the good ones, then like the show, give us a five-star review, share us around, share us around with everyone. The more we can get it out there, you know, comment. If you can comment on YouTube, that's good. Uh, we have a Buy Me A Coffee page set up. I'll put the link to that in the comments or in the show notes if you want us to make, make a small donation. That's that rubbish, right? Dan Giles. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a long time, my friend. How are you doing? I'm oh, well. Th thanks for having me, mate. Um, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to getting involved with this. It's um, yeah, been a great listen over the last couple of years. The warmer, the warmer um, podcast on Spotify. It's um, yeah, one of my favourites for sure. Great stuff. And we're pretty, yeah, I do have a look at the analytics and we've got about 4% of the uh, listenership is over your way. I know a friend of mine, Morgan down in Queensland, he listens. And I think Luke Peters, who's an ex like I think he listens. So you're probably the other one of the couple or the uh, one of the four. Well, it's not four people I'm, I'm rabbiting on. Uh, you were warmest overseas player, Dan, in 2010. I've just said to you, I, I got lucky. I found you first time. Um, you came over. We're going to talk about that season shortly, but just tell us, mate, you, you, you were over in 2010. It was a long time ago. Talk to us what you've been up to since you went back to Australia. Cause I'm sure a lot of the guys will be keen to hear how you're doing for yourself as well. So just, I, obviously I know from Facebook, you've set up a very successful business. You've recently had a child, but just tell us, tell us what you've been up to for the last decade, mate. Um, yeah, well, basically came back, um, did a bit of labouring here and there and, and started the business 12 years ago, not, not long after I got back. And um, yeah, basically I'm, I'm up to staff at number six now, three cars on the road. Um, yeah, gardening my our backsides off across across Adelaide. Um, yeah, just had a little one, 10, 10 months on Tuesday. So yeah, that's been um, a bit of hard work for a, for a workaholic like myself to have to find some time for for others and um yeah still still playing cricket so um yeah that's pretty much been my probably probably life over the last decade or so i'm, I'm keep it pretty simple really so i mean it's I, I we sort of have a shared interest in the sort of landscape and horticultural side of things i mean uh, uh, you're doing what so many of us you know over here and maybe around the world I love the idea of working for myself. I've never had the, the bollocks to, to go out and do it, but you went and done it at a very young age. And every time I see, you know, another staff advert, another set of wheels on the road, it really, it really is fantastic to see. And is it, is it purely gardening or is there a bit of sort of sports? Do you do any curating down at the cricket ovals or anything? Yeah, I, I do do um, my current club's uh, second ground. So it's at a, it's at a school, um, they sort of neglected it over the years and, and the club took it on. And um, I've done that for the last uh, four or five years, which is, yeah, but it, it's more a labor of love. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like a loss doing, doing warmers. Um, uh, but yeah, I enjoy doing that. It's, it's not really a, um, there's not many blokes that do it sort of yeah. in Adelaide. Um, it's not a, it's not a big sort of um, industry. Um, 
but yeah, so yeah, mainly the garden maintenance side of things, a little bit of that sort of stuff, tiny bit of landscaping, but yeah, mainly the you know maintaining shopping centres, domestic jobs. Oh, they sort of, yeah, the, the 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 contract work, so to speak. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I mean, I for one, obviously, a slight slight keep an eye out for it because it, it, it is my sort of profession as well in a slightly yeah. different context. But well done to you on that, mate. It, it's fantastic to see. Um, so let's. Before we get on to talking about, I've got play cricket open on the iPad over there, so I, I can see all the stats. Before we get into that that season, that 2010 season, talk to me a little bit, or talk to us, I should say, about the young man that sort of Dan Giles was, because I don't know if your hotmail address gives it away. I don't know if you were born in 1986, but in 2010, you you know, you'd have been a young man. Uh, it's a huge move to sort of come over to the UK and sort of adopt a cricket club, so to speak, and, and I hope you do well. But what was, had you done much traveling before that? Or was it literally a case of, you know, I need to, I need to go and get this out of my system and try it. Uh, so just, just set the scene for the Dan Giles in Australia before you came over, mate. Um, yeah, well, I, I spent a year, I did a school exchange in Canada um, my last year of school. Um, and really love that. And I guess um, I was and, and still am a, a cricket nuffy. And, and <laughs> the dream was always to, to get over and play in the UK and um, certainly not a world beater of a player and, and didn't really think it was probably possible at, at, at my sort of standard at my level, you know, so, sort of thought it was really only for the county cricketers, the elite cricketers, things like that. So I did a bit of, yeah, got some bollocks and did a bit of research and found out, geez, there's, there's actually... Um, you know, a fair, fair, fair few players coming we'll over and doing this. And <laughs> yeah, I I can't really remember how, I think Loz got in touch with me. I, I can't really remember how okay. it all sort of came about, but um, probably Googling Warmer and Deal and that and sort of having grown up in the country, it sort of looked like a, a quieter um, place than, you know, being up in London or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's probably why. I sort of had a few clubs that I looked at, but that's probably why I, I picked Warmer. Um, but yeah, just a cricket nuffy, like just yeah. Well, no, yeah, fair, always... fair play to you, mate. Um, so let's so so you've you've touched down. I can't. I I mean we we met. I mean I've sort of been racking my brains because I'm getting old now. So 2010, I remember we we met a little bit, but I actually was spent that summer in Holland. So I assume I was probably I'd probably come back from university because I was the old git who'd gone off to university at an old age. I probably spent maybe two or three weeks around deals. I got to know you a bit, but then then fucked off over to Holland to earn some money. Um, yep. So you stayed. Were you? Did you stay with Laws? Did you stay with Furry? I can't remember who. Where? No, where I was I was with uh, Trevor. Trevor Bond. Oh, <laughs> that explains a lot. Oh, so you were in with Trevor, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And yep. Which was which is fantastic. Tre Trevor was brilliant. Um, and obviously being being an Australian as well. Um, and obviously loving. You know, he was a bit of a cricket nuffy as well. So, yeah. um, yeah, it was it was it was great. And you know, he loves his AFL as well, which um, you know, we were constantly talking about in between in between cricket. Well, we will. I've got AFL on my list because I, I'm not an AFL fan. Um, I am I am a Brisbane Lions fan by by consequence more than anything, as you are. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brains about that a bit later in this conversation, mate. Um, so you've you've touched down. You've been sort of 
out of the car. So probably Loz has probably come to get you and dropped you off at, at Trev's house along by, I assume he was living along by Deal Hospital then. I don't know if he still does. Um, and then you've sort of, who was, what was your first experience of Deal? I'm, I'm assuming you probably ended up out on the town with, I don't think I was there the first night, possibly Graham North and a few others, but did you get, did you get shown around the club first or did you get shown around the King's Head? It's, it's one of the other normally. Yeah, well, yeah, Loz, Loz picked me up um, from Heathrow. It it rained um, the entire <laughs> drive back, and I've sort of started. I think it was early early April, and starting to wonder what I'd. It was quite cold as well, and um, I think I landed on a um, bank holiday weekend. I reckon yeah. I landed on the Saturday of, of a of a bank holiday weekend. I reckon um, Jared might have been down. And I know we ended up in the King's Head. Um, I reckon uh, Fairy was in there. I reckon. Um, yeah, he'd have been. He'd have probably. Had he he was probably approaching retirement back in 2010. He might not have quite been fully retired yet. Yeah, I, I think he was in the in the very late stages of being <laughs> finished. But yeah, I I've got to admit the first weekend was was quite a blur. I think we had a large Saturday night, and I was running on on minimal sleep. Um, jet lag, things like that. I think I slept for a couple of hours. I think Trevor was staggered when I got up Sunday quite early and, and went back down the King's Head. Um, <laughs> and then the Monday was was in the King's Head. Um, and then I think the following Saturday, we we had our first friendly and we were out at Wooten and Denton. Um, oh, nice. Just up the hill. Yeah, I know Wooten and Denton. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, rabbit holes, um, you know, dingy little sort of, club roomy kind of timber shack and it sort of felt like you know where I grew up like country cricket was was very much like that you know that basically paddocks that have been turned into cricket grounds and um obviously minus the fact that they get dry and, and no grass on it but you know rabbit holes yeah. um little little sheds and things like that but you know people obviously gravitate to them as a, as a bit of a community sort of thing so um yeah that was the first experience of, of cricket um which yeah like i said i think it was cold i think i think we made about 60 out there and i think they passed us about nine down um, <laughs> yeah i mean i i suppose probably for you turning up at a ground like that you may be somewhat a little bit surprised to find actually a sort of a grass track over there maybe i don't know maybe you'd expect expect a little artificial out out in australia i know so a lot of sort of low, maybe I assume it's the same in Adelaide, but a lot of the the lower quality cricket, shall we say, is is played on on Astro turf, isn't it? But um, yeah, yeah, Wooten and Denton, nice little ground, sort of the pub. I think it's the is it the Jack Door that you sort of turn left at and then venture up up to the sticks. I'm I'm not sure. Um, yeah, there, there is a pub. Been... Most most markers in England are <laughs> left or right at a pub. I, I think. I was just thinking that your first weekend in England that you described is probably every bank holiday weekend for, for us Brits between the age of 18 and 30. Um, but let's have a, I, we won't go through fixtures themselves. I mean, I've got your stats in front of us, Dan. Um, I must say for, I've, I've had a look at sort of the team performance and, and shall we say the team's win percentage for the year you were here wasn't particularly good. Um, but you, you sort of stood out and, and some might say you should really, you know, you were brought in to do a job as such, but you know, 37 games, these might not be all, you know, I've just got the overall stats, but you know, nearly 1200 runs, uh, you made a hundred, 
But what I like that you averaged 40, 39 by 17, Dan. But what I think is, is pretty damn good is if those sort of 35 innings, you know, you've made 11 50s and 100. Um, so you've sort of passed 50 every three innings, really. And fresh off the plane, you know, to a new country, a new, you know, lifestyle as such. Uh, I think you can look back on those stats and be quite proud of yourself, mate. Uh, yeah, I was um, probably reasonably happy. I certainly tapered off a bit towards the end, which I think uh, was a little bit disappointing. I, I had a pretty good start and then, um, yeah, yeah, tapered off a little bit. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the, the win-loss ratio, we had two washouts and, and lost 16 games. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a great season. Um, so, obviously, yeah, good to be able to perform reasonably in a, in a you know, a very young um, struggling side that, um, you know, eventually ended up turning it around, which was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've got, like I say, I've got the, the batting stats for the, for the club that year in front of me. And I, I, I hope I don't upset anyone here and I don't think I will, but for, for Simon Moore to sort of be number two on the, on the batting stats and Simon can hold a bat and he's, he's a, he's a good all round cricketer. I mean, I, I would think of Simon more as a bowler really I might be completely wrong there but I think it's fair to say that when you've got the talent lower down you know there's people like Lawrence Marsh and and Martin North didn't play much I expect he was busy but um uh with work but you then Andy Burkett's not on this first list maybe he thinking back maybe he just had a first child back then or second child but the batting performance or the list of names on there suggests that you know, you put in a very good performance in a somewhat struggling side. And every cricket club goes through that, don't they? I mean, you know, young Tom Burnett would have been very young here, 37 in this. He made 500 runs, but he was only averaging sort of 17. And we all know Tom's gone on to be a fantastic batsman and bowler. And Graham North batted a lot. He's made 500 runs and sort of young Owen there. He's he played every game by the looks of it, 38, 33 innings. But he's he's sort of only scored 300 runs. These guys have all gone on to be very good cricketers, but you were probably over here in a, yeah, a sort of, it's a cliche I tell Owen off, but a transitional period for warmer CC. Yeah, d definitely. And, and obviously I could, I could sort of feel that. I, I think AB, yeah, I think he'd um, had work or yeah, young one on the way. Loz was missing a few games with work and then he got injured. Every time he played, he, he generally made runs. And then yeah. again, you know, with yeah, Owen, Tom Burnett, Tom Mitchell. Um, so really, without looking at the stats, we probably Northy, Graham North and I were probably the only ones that played just about every game. And then I reckon, yeah, we were sort of plugging holes and, and had a very young side. And certainly when we were going up to London, you were coming up and against some pretty strong clubs that, um, yeah, gave us a few, a few hidings. But at, at times we were in games as well, uh, but it was certainly our batting that, you know, when you only got 130, 140 on the board on on some of those really good tracks and quick outfields in the, in the middle of summer, um, yeah, it made it it made it tough. Definitely, and I think, yeah, like you say, it's you every every game of cricket is reliant upon both facets, isn't it? Batting and bowling, but I mean, you really if you're only posting between sort of 130 and say 150, 160 week in week out, you're not, you'll, you'll get the odd bowling performance, won't you? Where you, where you, where you manage to turn the side over or, or perhaps 160 is par, but it's not, it's very rarely par on a, on a, on a sort of good wicket. 
Um, anything you you just sort of mentioned London, and it was it was always my gripe as a sort of Kent League cricketer based down in Warmer, sort of living in Deal, that every away game I'd have to, or we'd all have to debunk into the car and drive up and you could see bloody Canary Wharf from, from the away games. And I always wanted to know which part of bloody Kent we were in. But how did you find that? I mean, I don't know how it is in, in Adelaide where you are, but Australia is obviously a huge country. Um, is Was sort of that one and a half hour, sort of 60, 70 mile drive for a game of cricket was that was that you were you used to that or did that seem like a bit of a stretch even for someone coming over from from a country where where putting the miles in in the car is not abnormal yeah it was um I mean yeah Australia is is quite expensive but our, our league you've got I mean I've played at a couple of clubs and, I, and I've always been pretty central sort of living not far out of the actual CBD so you might travel once or twice a year um an hour hour okay. and ten um, so you're always a bit frustrated if you if you draw, you know, one of those teams in a two day game. Um, <laughs> yeah. We play over over two Saturdays, so you get them, you get two road trips. Um, but yeah, that that really and you and you can see why it made it hard if you had kids, um, commitments, things like that. You know, some games where we weren't getting back to deal before seven seven thirty, um, and you know, most of our games weren't even going going the, the, the distance. Yeah. So if they had, it would be 8, 30, 9 o'clock um, kind of thing by the time you, you know, sat down, had a shower, had a beer. So, yeah, it was it was a big shock. It was, it was um, and you can see why cricket struggles in terms of keeping people going with, with the travel and, and things like that. Um, because, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, very, it was very different for, for me to experience doing yeah. it every second week. Every second week we were up in London, I think, Rodmersham was about the only one, and I think that was about forty minutes. Well, yeah, I mean um, that's. I mean, when you if you're thinking, you do have the occasional season where. I mean, I remember many years ago. I think we, one of the sort of early seasons I was playing first team, we we were fortunate enough to have. I think there there may have been there was certainly a Sibden Park side in our league, and there was Broadstairs, and I can't remember if there was a, a Hythe side or something, and they were sort of three very local, you know, Sibden Park sort of half an hour there's half you know all within half an hour drive and you, you really onto a think you've got lucky there i mean you normally go yeah. over there and get wallets Broadstairs score 400 but there you go um, anything anything that stands out in particular from from that anything performance i know it was a long time ago dan and we only really organized this podcast yesterday didn't we but is there anything that really stands out possibly one positive standout and one not so positive from that season you know maybe a an opposition or just a, a walloping that you took or a or, or performance from, from yourself or one of the, the warmer guys, what stands out for you that you can sort of think back to, mate? Yeah, pro- probably. Um, well, the, the one positive thing that really stands out or the one, the one good thing, uh, Loz, uh, we played a game up at Sid cup um, and we struggled. I, I think we might've made two ten, which was, which was quite a high score for us, but <laughs> Everyone else struggled. I think Lyle's got 160. Um, yeah. they, had, they had a fairly good attack. I think they might have won the league or finished second that year. Um, pretty strong attack. Uh, but yeah, he, that was one of the best innings still to this day that I've that I've seen anyone play. He just looked like he was facing a different bowling attack. Um, <laughs> he he has that was, habit, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Just just looked class, chanceless. Um, yeah, if they bowled, you know, in his arc, he he was whacking it. Um, and yeah, I think the rest of us, I think we're nine for about 40 from the rest of us with a few extras. 
Um, so yeah, that's one thing that, that stands out to me. And uh, in terms of probably the the bad side, obviously losing every game. Um, yeah. Like I said, we, we were in games and I think the last or second to last game of the year, we bowled, I can't even remember who they were. We bowled them out for about 130 and I thought, we're, we're actually going to win this year. And I think we ended up getting rolled for 100. Um, but yeah, pro- probably probably one interesting thing. And, and North Hill, remember this that day up at Sidcup. Um, old, uh, I, think he's, I think he's quite well known or was. He's, he's probably well past it now, but old Faisal from Sidcup. <laughs> He's, he was um, discussed, wasn't he, on a podcast? We were doing a lap around the Oval, wanting to, wanting to bash us, threatening us, giving us the old, do you know who I am? Um, <laughs> we'd made a comment there. Their Oval was, you know, like a, it was like an Australian Oval in the middle of summer. It was brown. It was dry. Yeah. Um, and we just made it. We weren't even talking to him. And he must have heard us. And he was at fine leg. And he just started walking. He, he walked off the Oval and wanted wanted to do us in. And do you know who I am? And we were just, I, we were just staggered. We just laughed at him. And he... Yeah, it was it was one of the strangest things I've, I've seen on the cricket field. Um, I do. Yeah, believe- so that was probably yeah. Sid Cup were always an interesting, I, interesting of the play. I remember um, Jared when we had Jared on last year. I think he was recounting a story of me and Jared batting against the same gentleman, and I couldn't, I couldn't really remember it. Um, and if it is what I can remember, I, I, I mean, he's taken a lot of wickets. He's up there in the all-time yeah. wicket table, but I can remember. Th- he, maybe I faced him towards the end of his career, but I remember thinking he had a lot of attitude for not quite as much talent as I was, you know, maybe in his younger years, he, he had been particularly that the wickets would suggest, you know, he knows what he's doing. But I thought people, probably people said the same about me, but he seemed to have a lot of mouth for p- potentially not so much ability. <laughs> yeah, we, we played him earlier in the year at Walmer and Jared played and, and Jared and I were batting. We, we played a, a losing draw or something. It, 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 it was a sort of overcast day. And we, I, that game still annoys me a little bit because I think I got 60. I, I thought we were going to win. It was it was getting dark. They were struck, There was a bit of drizzle. Um, and for some reason, it was better for us to shake hands and walk off with a with a losing <laughs> draw. And, and he was, um, again, Jared and I were playing him quite well, but he was just running his mouth every ball. And so I don't know. Yeah, obviously, obviously it seems like it's a, it's a common trait. And I remember Jared saying... You know, he he was he was like that, and then yeah, obviously blew up in the return fixture. <laughs> oh, it's good. I mean, that's that that that's fantastic to hear. But and well, it's fantastic to hear you're sort of able to sort of go back and and recall many sort of moments from, from your time there, Dan. So let's let's move it on a little bit. Um, we might we might sort of come back and touch on some more warmer stuff in a minute. And um, it's good that you mentioned Jared. And I, I'd missed the obviously I, you and Jared have that Australian connection. I'd missed the connection that you'd actually live with his dad then. But um, you two have seemed to have been quite the double act since your return to Australia. And um, do you do you keep in contact with many of the boys? Obviously, you and Graham North were very good friends, and people like yeah. Owen and so Tommy Mitch would have been really young guys back then. But it's yeah. So over a decade now, do you, do you touch base with the guys every now and again? Yeah, I, I try and keep in contact with um, as many of them as I can. Obviously, I'm in a couple of the, the warmer Facebook groups and, and follow the results. And um, usually Sunday morning, I'll um, check our local footy scores in the in the local paper here. And then I'll jump on um, play cricket and check the cricket scores. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still speak to Northy a bit, Jared and I cross paths on a Facebook post or something from time to time. And <laughs> when um, Australia yeah. won something. 
yeah, or, or football as well. Obviously, Melbourne won the grand final last year and um, he was pretty cock a about that. So, um, yeah, obviously, I, I came back. I can't remember. It was about six years ago. Um, my partner and I came back for, uh, I think we did about three weeks, came down, played a couple of games, um, caught up with a few people, um, Martin Pierce and Northy and, and Martin North and um everyone that was around and, and again yeah you, you'd bump into people like owen and tom mitchell who were i reckon of 14 or 15 when i was there and yeah. suddenly they're they're men and um yeah leading the club and things like that which was which was good to see as well um but yeah still try and keep in contact with people where i can and, and certainly follow the scores and like i said your your podcast as well has, has been good to, to just to keep um up to date with all the comings and goings yeah that's 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 what we try and and that's what the, like this episode hopefully will sort of work in reverse almost. It will allow some of those younger guys to sort of catch up with you now a bit. And, and I have said that hopefully we'll surprise everyone with this podcast next week. And then maybe we can hook something else up to get some more of the boys on the call and make it a bit of a social thing. And you've mentioned yeah. AFL a few times in this chat already, Dan. Um, now you're, you're there in Adelaide, but you are yep. a Brisbane Lions fan. And I'm a Lions fan, and I said by consequence because I ended up in Australia late 2001 going into 2002. So Michael Voss had just led the Lions to their first grand final victory in 01. They went on to win, I think they won in 02 and 03, didn't they? Uh, yeah, and lost, lost the grand final in 04. Uh, and, you know, Voss, had, he was... I can't remember really many of the other names, but he was obviously... He was the sort of captain and the shining star. I think had he, it's funny because he'd won a Brownlow, what, five or six years before, maybe 96, I think. Yep. Uh, yep. So, and he was one of the big names, wasn't he? And I touched down on the Sunshine Coast and sort of spent me six, five, five months bumming around there playing some. So, so that's my excuse for being a Lions fan. Uh, it's more, you know, I've got this Real Madrid shirt on today because I'm not a Liverpool fan. Um but what's what's a boy from sort of Hectorville or Adelaide? How does he end up being a Brisbane Lions fan? Yeah, well, as most of my mates will will say, I jumped on board two thousand and one because they were winning, <laughs> which is which is a lie. Um, I'm obviously a little <laughs> bit older than excuse. that, but yeah, yeah, if that, if that's what they want to go with. But no, when I was when I was younger, um, my auntie bought me a little Brisbane bear, and that was yes. Before they were the Lions, they were the Bears. Then were the they Bears? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's, so, yeah, that, that's, that's yeah, it. They've... That's as simple as that. I, I didn't really like the Adelaide team at the time, and um, I still don't. Um, <laughs> well, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, after 04, we were, we, we were a bit of a basket case. We were, you know, pretty pretty average. Um, had loads of those blokes retired after those really successful years, and, and we struggled, couldn't get recruits, couldn't get players to stay. Um, Brisbane, Queensland's a bit of a casual sort of football state, big on their rugby. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've had some really tough years and they're starting to hit our straps again um, the last couple of years. But yeah, we keep um, finishing in the top four, making a, a prelim final. So one win away from the grand final and losing that. So we've done that the last three years, I think. So we've got to turn that around. Otherwise our, our window will close pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, I remember I, 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 we we get we we had coverage on Eurosport briefly. I'm not sure if Channel Five had coverage at some point. And I remember, uh, well, you can catch it on BT Sport now if you if you're willing to pay the subscription, obviously. And I think when I was sort of living up in the Midlands at university, sort of 2008 to 2011, 
Um, I just bumped into the lines, and I think Voss had, Mr. Voss had gone back, and maybe he was coaching around then. And I sort of sort of re- realigned with the Lions very briefly. I don't think they did anything overly wonderful in that that period of following them again. But I do. I I keep an eye out for results, but I'm, I'm I am very much a sort of a backseat fan. Um, so AFL, I know you play a sort of a bit, but am I right? I don't know. I might have might have been. You might have got me with a big wind up. But have you announced sort of a bit of first grade retirement on the cricket in front over over there, or was that just a wind up? And I've taken the bait. No, no, no. Uh, so yeah, we I uh, moved clubs again a couple of years ago, uh, a bit closer to home, um, and yeah, we ended up uh, two months ago now winning the A two, so Division two um, grand final from from sort of nowhere. Um, yeah, but I busted my thumb uh, about six weeks before that, fielding one, getting a bit old, a bit slow, um, and dropped a sitter a couple of weeks before that, like an absolute sitter. And I sort of started to think, geez, this is um, getting past me a little bit. And uh, yeah, so sort of decided after a few days of reflection and sobering up that I think, um, yeah, 13 years of, of A-grade cricket's probably um, probably enough for me. And I've um, got a few other things going on. and. Yeah, still, still keen to, to play, but I think, um, yeah, my time is is spent elsewhere. I'm probably not hitting enough balls. Didn't really have a great a great season, and I think, um, yeah, just feeling a bit a bit older and a bit slower. And some of the days in the field, I mean, we play 80 overs, yeah, um, per innings or per side um, each Saturday. So there were some Sundays where I was waking up uh, after 60 or 70 overs in the field, 39 degree day, a bit a bit worse aware. So, yeah, I probably um. Yeah, dropping that catch, busting my thumb, and then obviously, yeah, winning the flag as, as the skipper was sort of, geez, what a way to go out. Because, um, yeah, I, I won one my first year down here in Adelaide in, in the A grade, and I think I've lost three or four grand finals in between and, and sort of didn't think I was ever going to gonna win another one. So I sort of thought that might be, um, might be a fitting way to hang them up. Nah, well, congratulations to you and the club on that, mate. And you just yeah. mentioning sort of, sort of fielding 80 overs in in a day in 39 degrees. I mean, it takes me back. I mean, I didn't play any standard of cricket when I was in Oz. I, I played for a little side on the Sunshine Coast called Palmwoods uh, Cricket Club. I played second grade, which is probably about eighth grade, sort of up on the actual Brisbane sort of standard. Uh, but we played a we played a, an away fixture in the Glasshouse Mountains and I had a stinking hangover and it was 44 degrees, I think. The umpires agreed we'd take drinks every five to eight overs. I think we would take a drink. And I almost I, I almost had to walk off the pitch at one point. We, we fielded all day in, in plus 40 degrees. And my word, that was awful. Um, yeah, and Queen, Queensland's heat, the humidity up there is, is different as well. So it would have been a lot worse. You'd have, you'd have been... You'd probably sobered up pretty quick because you'd have sweated all out. But um, I, I yeah, may have the, sobered up. Initial period, I didn't yeah. feel any better, that's for sure. Um, okay, I, I probably should have said at the start of this episode. Hopefully, we, we won't have lost any listeners by not mentioning it. But we normally get um, we normally get some guests or new guests to to come up with an eleven. Uh, to pitch an 11, either a local 11, or we've had sort of Alan Amos and Owen came up with an 11 to start the first sort of test for the summer for England against New Zealand coming up. I've asked you, Dan, to put together, based on your sort of age 
Um, I've asked you if you'd be willing to put together a combined England and Australia, or I should say Australia and England, Test 11, uh, based on, and I've asked you to do it from after that infamous England win in 2005, you know, we've, we finally got some asses back. And then I asked you, so, so the 2006, seven series where you, you know, that was Freddie Flintoff's awful, uh, captaincy. I think you walloped us five nil. I don't even know if we got one wicket in the whole series, did we? Um, but I asked you if you would come up with a combined 11. So I'm not expecting sort of five and five, um, but in that sort of time period, we had a little, we had that sort of period 09 to sort of 2013 England won three Ashes series on the trot, but the Aussies have bounced back. So I think it's, it's quite good. Um, I'm interested to hear what you've come up with. Um, don't name you, or you can name your skipper first if, if you want to tell us who's going to skipper this combined eleven, and then and then run through it for us if you don't mind, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you gave me a bit of notice on this because it was actually I sat there last night um, after a couple of beers and, and tried to sort of go through the series and, and try and pick um, some players because obviously a lot of the Australian sort of greats were sort of finishing up 06, yeah. 07, 78 around that sort of mark, so. Um, I've sort of left a few of those blokes out, which might surprise a few people, but um, okay. And there are there are actually a few poms in here, so. Um, <laughs> and, and you did ask if if the poms, as you refer to us, had to be born in England, and my my suggestion was that we may not have got anyone in there. If you know, we've got I don't know what names you're going to mention, but we've had obviously a couple of South African based batsman one new zealand based all-rounder in that sort of period so 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 tell us your skipper dan and then get into that side for us yep yep um so yeah obviously alistair cook uh, he, he's obviously opened the batting and, and he would be my my skipper um in that side i think i think geez he could probably still walk into the england side now um <laughs> i think he was obviously happy with with what he'd achieved but you know you you probably Blokes talk about going out on top. I, I think he probably still had a couple of good years in him at that test level, but certainly, yeah, um, there was a couple of series there where he just, he just didn't look like getting out. We, we couldn't get him out. We tried different plans. Um, he was, and you know, there was, there was a period where he dominated, went to India and dominated. He, he dominated world cricket for a couple of years there. Yeah. Um, and certainly batting up the top. Um, as I've, I've done most of my life and being a lefty, um, obviously wins a few, few accolades from me as well but yeah I mean he's, he's a class player and obviously still is he's still you know applying his trade in, in county cricket and, and doing pretty well well he, I think he recently notched his hundred first class hundred up didn't he and yeah he seems yep. to be like you say I mean certainly with the current state of things I mean I Rory Burns and Dom Sibley if I see those two clowns anywhere near an O test match opening soon I'm going to come out of retirement but hopefully yeah. hopefully I shouldn't say clown so that's a bit harsh but but yeah Who's going to open with Mr. Cook? Yeah, this this was the hard one. I, I really, I didn't know who else to put there. Um, obviously, the easy one is probably Dave Warner. Yeah. But he struggled in England. I don't really like him. Um, a lot of <laughs> a lot of Aussies don't. Um, I know he's he's universally hated across the world as well. Um, but yeah, he he probably simply because really Australia didn't don't have anyone else, and and England, you know, what have they been through? Twenty openers since since Cook retired. Oh, ridiculous um, amounts. It was the same yeah. with when Atherton, I mean, Mike Atherton had four million opening partnerships and the, the, then Alistair Cook was the next. And then since Cook's gone, we've been, 
you know, I said in the last podcast, Sam Robson, who has been scoring a few runs, but I mean, I, I don't think even Sam Robson himself ever thought he was going to be in the shout for an England call up again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and we'll be in the same boat. I think once Warner retires, I mean, we've brought Kawaji back in to open the batting at 36. We're the same at that, that yeah. state cricket. There's there's not many openers. And, you know, those two might have to play until they're 40. <laughs> Go on, then. Who, who surprise us with this one, then, mate. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, the, the next two, um, either or, could have, one could have been three, one the other four, vice versa. So I've got, um, obviously, Steve Smith at three. Yeah. Um, and, and Joe Root at four, but obviously, yeah, both both of their records, um, whether they should bat three, four, whatever, they, they speak for themselves in, in either position. Um, obviously, Smith's little indiscretion and, and the way that he came back in in England um, was was phenomenal in that in that Ashes. Um, struggled a bit since, but yeah, I mean, he's he's a he's a class player that probably got led down the garden path by by Warner a bit. Um, and Just obviously. Talk. Just talk to us a little bit while you're here, Dan, because, I yeah. mean, Steve Smith came into the Australian test side as a sort of a leg-spinning yeah. number six and seven, didn't he? And, you know, yeah. his early batting performances, he, he obviously, that technique, has he's refined it slightly, but he, the technique was still based around this lots of movement at the crease and that sort of big, big trigger movement back in the day. Uh, but the bowlers seem to have his number. But, I mean, you talked just now about Alistair Cook never looking like for a whole series, he wasn't get out. I mean, Steve Smith probably went through three three years of looking like no international team was going to get him out. It was a phenomenal turnaround in in form. Um, yeah, and it's it's what's what's the Australian? Was that just? Is it a simple case of something clicked, or was there a change of coach over there, or did he just mature as a cricketer? I mean, what's your take on on that turnaround? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I mean, it's 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 hard to watch him bat, isn't it? Like you you couldn't you wouldn't teach you couldn't it. teach that. You, yeah. you just couldn't feasibly logically try and teach that to a youngster. Um, he's obviously he obviously is a, is a cricket well and truly a cricket tragic. Um, hits lots of balls. Um, obviously, this technique has, has worked for him now. Whether he whether he has and he, and he clearly has been found out a little bit. Um, bowlers have got plans and things now. Um, but yeah, he just went away and, and got to know his game and worked with batting coaches and, and technical coaches. And yeah, I, I think he probably probably over overachieved in terms of what anyone thought he was going to do, particularly like you said, the way that he started his career. Um, yeah. yeah, so it'd be interesting to see the next couple of years for him. I mean, he still, still averages 40 in most series, but it's just yeah. probably hit those lofty levels of 70s and 80s that he's may not ever get back to but yeah I, I couldn't put a finger on it because it's it's just a strange technique to watch and how it all comes together and how he gets it right is probably beyond most people and and joe Root, the polar opposite almost the sort of quintessential test batsman he's very much technique you know he, he those, these cover drives and those sort of back foot punch drives and wonderful off his legs. He hooks and pulls well, you know, that sort of cut. He, he plays all around the wicket and he plays very well. Um, he struggled when he came into the English side. He was sort of billeted as, as sort of the next Alistair Cook in a sense, but slightly more flamboyant, almost guilty maybe of having too many shots early in his career. But again, like, like Smith, in a sense, he, he has matured into 
you know, one of the world's best. I don't know if they still call it the top four, that sort of, or the big four, that Steve Smith, Joe Root, Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli sort of thing. I think a lot of other batsmen have, have sort of come up alongside these guys now and sort of Kohli seems to be cooling off. Steve Smith has cooled off, but still maintaining that average. And, and Kane Williamson obviously led the Kiwis to that wonderful sort of test triumph or whatever we call that, the, the best test nation in the world. That's hard to say, isn't it? Um, there's not too much I'd I'd ask you to say about Joe Root as an Australian, but he really has, you know, it, you'd be hard to argue about him being sort of, if not the best player on current form. And, and I, I wasn't surprised to see him lose the captaincy or give the captaincy up. But I, I mean, I actually, from, from the outside looking in, I, I, I would have personally said that I'd have thought Joe Root's average would have suffered when he took the captaincy on. And it actually did the opposite, which surprised me quite a lot actually because I, I thought he was maybe one who would have sort of struggled a bit but I was amazed to see that that average probably went up by seven or eight runs over the course of his captaincy yeah he obviously he obviously excelled at it and yeah for some for some people it, it does um you know take their game to another level I, I think it'd probably do the same with Stokes um but obviously yeah for Root by the end of it all the issues that you know are going on behind the scenes with English cricket and, and the test side and there's obviously a few, few strong egos there. I think it had probably worn him down and, and was certainly affecting his cricket. He, he looked at the Ashes, the last Ashes, he looked like a man that um, was just spent with, yeah. you know, it was, he, he almost looked like a, like, a, like a club cricket coach that had done too much during the week, ringing blokes, picking blokes, just happy to get 11 blokes out on the team, uh, out, in the, out in the park. And he just looked spent by the, by the time Saturday came around or, or game time for him. Like I said, he, you know, looked like a, a club cricketer that just just happy to get the team out on the park, and he was he was spent and struggling, and and yeah, mentally mentally shot. So I think I think it'll certainly help his game to step step aside and yeah, um, get hopefully just, just playing. Hopefully, it will prolong that international career. I mean, he's he's obviously got nothing left to prove in international cricket, but he's he's far from an old man. He he should still yeah. have plenty to offer. Now you've sort of got Cook, Warner, Steve Smith, and Joe Root. I mean. Batting at five and six in this side might already be a, a bit of a luxury position. You'd like to think you're probably coming in at sort of 400 for two, 400 for three. Um, but who, who have you who have you picked to sort of round that top six out, the next two names in that batting list, Dan? Yeah, th- these ones are probably the harder ones because obviously there's been some, some pretty handy players for both sides over the last 10 or so years, 12 years. Um, I threw at five, I threw Ricky Ponting in there. Um, yeah. I know he was tapering off towards the end of, of this period. Had a couple of good Ashes series there, but he obviously hated the Poms, which was good. Um, <laughs> adds a bit, you know, if, if you get him, got him sort of even half in his prime, him at five would be would be brilliant. Um, and I always love watching watching Ponting play, as, I, as I'm sure the English did as much as, you know, it'd be like us watching Joe Root when, he, when, when he's on. Yeah. We hate him, but you actually do like watching him bat at the same time. Very technical, kept it really simple. Um, you know, he was always in the fight, um, wanted to be in the fight. So, a brilliant fielder. So, I threw him in at five and six. Um, as much as it pains me to say, I, I think him taking over the captaincy is going to be good for him and, and certainly good for English cricket. But um, Ben Stokes. Um, okay, interesting, yeah. Yeah, yep. I just think uh, he's just had flashes of brilliance and, and um, yeah, I think some of the series that he's had, whilst he maybe hasn't had the massive impact that perhaps, you know, some some other blokes had, I, I think he's been an important pillar in, in, in lesser sides. 
Yeah. Um, he's really no, stood up in. Yeah, you know, it's easy to stand up at five, six, seven in a in a side that's dominating. I think he's done in a side that's coming in some tough positions and and you know dug in and and with bat or ball. Um, and obviously, yeah, now as as your captain, um, a Kiwi as captain of the <laughs> national side. Um, wow. But yeah, so he. He sneaks in at six for me, and obviously, yeah, adds adds a bit with the ball, and he's and he's pretty handy in the field as well. Yeah, now that's um, I like that, and just sort of on that Ricky Ponting, I mean, yeah, he was probably he was coming towards the end of his career in in this sort of time frame I've pitched you, but I mean, I I used to love watching him bat. Uh, I actually, I I've always found his his interviews and I've, and since his retirement, his media work, I I really enjoy that. You know, he loves his golf as well. He's he was. Uh, when they the few occasions that um, sort of the Aussies were down and Kent were lucky enough to get sort of a tour fixture, he was always that a few of them were always found on some of the local golf courses. Uh, I recently, just by pure chance, came across that sort of spell of bowling that he faced from Shoaib Akhtar, uh, that you'll find it sort of pinned onto Facebook, the YouTube video, and that sort of one over or two overs where Akhtar was sort of up around that 160 clicks and. And it, although, yes, no one can make that sort of stuff look easy, but, I mean, he he he, he relished fast bowling, didn't he? I mean, he was, I think, to play chess cricket as a batsman, I think anyone who does it probably has to be slightly unhinged, really, even with the modern helmets and all the protection. I mean, he, but he, he, he was a brave or is a brave man, isn't he? And I, you know, he was, as pains me as an Englishman to say it, but he was all about grit. But with that pure class of, I mean, he would, he would get into many an all time test 11 batting lineup, wouldn't he? Yeah, that real, and you know, there's, there's been players over the years, but they're becoming less and less, but that, you know, that real working class sort of scrappy roll the sleeves up actually probably played better when it was, when it was tough, you know, obviously yeah. I think Stokes is a little bit similar. Um, they actually thrive when the, when the side's four for 40 more so I mean, they, they still did well when things were going well, but that actually just, they, they seem to not go to water. They, they step up another level and go, well, hang on, I'll, I'll put you on my back and get you through this. Um, yeah. And I think like you say, with Stokes, Stokes, hopefully, you know, he's done that in the past, but, but you touched on it yourself, Dan, um, I've yet, I haven't, you know, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I think what you sort of touched on the fact that maybe Stokes has, he's shown up obviously that fantastic innings against you guys and he's made some wonderful innings that, fan, you know, that knocking or against South Africa. Um, but I don't know that he has something like Alistair Cook, who sort of took that sort of series to Australia in Australia, scoring 100 upon 100 upon 100. I, 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 Stokes hasn't quite yet taken multiple series sort of by the scruff of the neck and been that standout player. But to see him, you know, he's, he's hard not to put in a side because he will, across the, the course of a series, he will have two, three, maybe four standout performances with bat or ball. So definitely the sort of guy you want to have in your side. Um, is your number seven going to be filled with a sort of keeper batsman role, the modern way, Dan. It is, yeah. That, that was a, that was a tough one as well because I, I think both sides of um, after Gilchrist for Australia and, and obviously probably going back a bit further, but Stewart for England, we've, we've yeah. chopped and changed our keepers and haven't really been able to. But neither side, neither country, been able to really settle on anyone. Um, yeah. So I, I opted for Brad Haddon um, yeah. only because he had a, he had a few good Ashes series. 
Um, you know, he was another one who liked to scrap, um, liked to fight. Yeah, um, and yeah, so. really, I, I couldn't think of anyone else. Gilchrist was finishing up. You know, he probably would have been the easier choice, but I thought Haddon probably played a bit more in that period. And um, again, hate, hated the Poms. You know, the Ashes brought the best out of out of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he he sneaks in probably just ahead of Gilchrist. Yeah, and I mean, I think. I'm going back probably a bit far for this time period, but we've gone through the likes of sort of Chris Reed and sort of James Foster, a uh, very specialist gloveman who couldn't quite hold it up with the bat. You know, we've had the likes of Josh Butler, who I think is a fantastic cricketer. I don't know if he's a test cricketer or a test bat. I don't, don't really think he's a test keeper. You guys have had, was it Peter Neville? Didn't really. Yeah, Wade. Didn't really, um, James Wade. Yeah, not really. I mean, Wade, Wade's an exceptional gloveman, but... I think Gilchrist sort of ruined it, I guess is a, is a harsh word, but sort of ruined it for Australian keepers. They've got to be flashy and aggressive and dominating with the bat and taking games away. Was Neville was just a, a nudger and a nerdler and, and his actual batting stats in test cricket and, and state cricket are actually quite good. I think he averages high 20s mid to mid 30s. Yeah. And he was an exceptional gloveman, but they just wanted someone exciting, a dasher, yeah. Um, yeah. So he really, I think a lot of people here in Australia, you know, similar to Foster and some of those blokes in England got burnt by the fact that he wasn't exciting batsman and he wasn't peeling off big scores. And um, obviously, yeah, pain came in at the end. And again, he, he wasn't a great batsman. He was a really good keeper. Yeah. Um, and obviously, yeah, he had to step in with all the crap that went yeah. on the last few years. But yeah, it's probably been probably. Well, worldwide, it's probably been ruined a bit by by like the likes of Gilchrist to come in and you know took revolutionised keeper batsman. Um, so a lot of countries now sacrifice the real keeping side of it for batsmen who can shots or, or yeah. try to, which is which is great. Again, you know when they can come in at five for four hundred, it, it's probably all right for the, the Butlers, the Bearstows, and you know Gilchrist was be able to do it a lot in his career as well. Yeah, but coming in at five for sixty, um, I think that's where a lot of these Wade and Butler and Bear, so they get found out because you can't just keep playing your shots and being ultra aggressive. And um, yeah, I think Gilchrist sort of probably ruined it for a few blokes. Yeah, and you you obviously you had you had the likes of sort of Sangakara doing doing great things for Sri Lanka at the time, and probably you know we've got the, we've got Ben Folks now who is a wonderful gloveman, but the criticism for Folks is that yeah he, he is a nudger and a nerdler, he'll make the odd hundred and and do all right, but he's not he he's not what international cricket defines as a wicketkeeper batsman at the moment. Never mind, um, we'll see how we go. Um, so get into the bowlers, Dan. See how we're getting on there. Yep, yep, it was pretty tough as well. Um, I'll go uh, at eight. I'll chuck in Mitchell Johnson. Um, obviously, didn't have a great time on most of his interviews, but um, that series, I, I forget the year um, here in Australia, where he took 40 odd wickets and that and that spell in Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, um, and obviously, yeah, some of his Ashes series in, in Australia. I love having a left armour. Um, I think he, he's certainly better than, than Stark, and obviously, he can bat a bit. and, and and yeah, that that series out here in fourteen fifteen or whatever it was was um yeah it was you know one one of the best spells of or one of the best series for for a fast bowler um, probably either country have ever had. Yeah, and uh, many people have sort of many of the sort of players who 
English players who faced him in that sort of, you know, the likes of sort of Jonathan Trott, I think, was probably played that series. He had him, and they've all commented on that was a real fast, you know, he was bowling at his best in that sort of series. And I mean, I think I remember, probably might be making it or remembering not quite so well, but he was sort of found at a sort of a coaching clinic back in the early 2000s. He hadn't really played much cricket maybe as, a, as a young man. And he just sort of turned up maybe a Dennis Lilly coaching cricket in Queensland and uh, just turned up and all of a sudden he was playing sort of Queensland. He was in the Queensland side within seven or eight months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, pretty much out and about and yeah just sort of wasn't really didn't really take his cricket seriously played a few games here and there and um got invited out I think a mate dragged him out and um yeah I mean like I said he had his, his tough periods and things like that but he was constantly working with with Lily throughout his career and um yeah when he when he got it right he was he was pretty handy when he didn't he was he was a bit um bit wayward but I think that comes sometimes with with left armors that's just yeah you know Stark's the same you've just got to accept that sometimes that they lose the plot a bit different the old lefties that's fair enough um who's gonna who's i don't know if you've got this sort of based on batting talent or what you're going to do but who's going to sort of who's going to be the the next bowler in line next cab off the rank in this 11 yep so nine i've, I've obviously gone with this the easy one would have been to pick pick warner who i think had two Series obviously that 05 series was phenomenal for him, um, and then finished off well here. I think it was seven eight or six seven yeah. when he finished up. But in terms of having having played a lot more series, and that I've gone with um, Nathan Lyon as the as the spinner and at, at number nine. Um, he's certainly been serviceable for for a spinner here in Australia, particularly in Offy. Um, he's had a hell of a career. I think I think he's often underrated, and obviously. Um, you know, gets sort of looked at harshly sometimes with his record in the subcontinent. But to be a spinner here in Australia with our with our drop in wickets now that don't really deteriorate as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, day four, day five isn't you know, the wickets are still are still as good as day two. Yeah. Um, so exceptionally well. Um, and yeah, obviously did you know has had some good Asher series, has had some poor ones, but I think he's been pretty consistent over that period and, and can bat a bit and, and yeah, reasonably well and uh, good in the field as well. Yeah. I mean, over, you don't get over 400 test wickets being a numpty, do you? You can't, you can't argue with the record. Um, I guess the only thing uh, from an English point of view, I, we could throw someone like Graham Swan into the mix, but I mean, you guys will laugh about it. We, we have to forgive Swanee. He was a wonderful servant, but anyone who, Packs the rucksack halfway through an Ashes series. It leaves yeah, a that, sour that, taste that, in the mouth. <laughs> now nah, that that was exactly my line of thinking. It was probably a bit of a bit of a toss up between those two, and I just sort of thought, yeah, the way that he he disappeared in that Ashes series was was pretty poor. Um, you know, when the when the the team needed him, um, yeah. Grandy wasn't Senior going pro well but, as well at that point. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So yeah, that certainly lost him a few few brandy points on, on my end yeah and that's that's possibly why you you see him commentating on the psl rather than the uh, ipl more yeah. than anything um okay so unless you're going with two spinners i would assume there's two fast bowlers to finish this side off so so talk us through 10 and 11 mate yep so i there's probably there were there were there were three blokes to fill and i, and I sort of picked a, a 12th man there were three blokes to fill these 
yeah um these spots so i went um one aussie one one englishman and, and the 12th man so i picked mcgrath obviously again he was he was coming towards the end of it in this period but um had a pretty handy 05 uh, until you blokes rolled a cricket ball out under his ankle before the <laughs> second or third test. And, um, Was that Trent Bridge? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. So, and then obviously, yeah, the last series he played here, you know, was, was still at the top of his game at 35, 36 for a, for a gentle medium pacer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he sneaks in at, at 10, which is he's probably batting a bit too high at 10. <laughs> um, but, you know, his record and... and at 11, Anderson, you know, they're both probably on, on par, similar bowlers. Um, rarely do they have a bad series. Um, and, you know, certainly at, at home, you know, McGrath used the, the pace and bounce here in Australia and he was still reasonably good in England. Anderson, obviously, in the UK is phenomenal. Um, and, at, you know, at times around the world, he's even here in Australia, he's managed to, to find a way to, you know, continue to bowl pretty pretty well again for for the two blokes that were just that are just gentle medium paces really yeah um in the modern world where where we're obsessed with pace and that they both made pretty good careers of yeah just being medium paces and finding ways to adapt and improve and obviously yeah anderson and and mcgrath you know really sort of tore apart their opposing countries when every opportunity they got really like i said <laughs> rare for both of them either of them to have bad bad series they might have bad test matches but yeah a bad ashes series was pretty rare from either of them well i mean i think as a from as a as an englishman and a cricket fan i mean i yes jimmy anderson um anderson has had the odd bad game but you but but glenn mcgrath i mean i don't i don't think glenn mcgrath have had a bad game let alone a bad series did he i mean He's probably Mike Atherton, bless him, probably still wakes up in a cold sweat every now and again, <laughs> thinking about, you know, Mike Atherton could have could have probably averaged somewhere near a 50 in test cricket had we not been playing Australia every second series or every second sort of English summer and every second English winter. Uh, just think if, you know, just think if we'd have been bobbing down to Bangladesh and Zimbabwe a bit more often, how Mike Atherton really could have, have, have really racked up some Alistair Cook-like numbers almost. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a 12th man. Just talk us through it then, Dan. Yeah. Uh, so obviously Stuart Broad um, sneaks in as much as it pains me to, to say <laughs> that, obviously. Have you, got over um, the, have you got over that when he didn't walk, sneaking one to slip? Was that no, Nathan no, Lyons? that bobs up from time to time on on Facebook and, and social media and things like that. And <laughs> um, yeah, obviously he's he's made a bit of a habit of being a bit cheeky about it and and some of his uh, celebrations and, and appeals and things like that. But um, yeah, you know he's he's obviously again you know phenomenal record certainly in England, um, but he's managed to come out to other places in, in Australia as well and, and have good series. Um, and again, you know find find a way for a bloke who's not overly quick but obviously yeah find a way to to swing the ball and and work on his lines and his lengths and and really you know that that last Ashes series in the UK where he I don't think you know Dave Warner tried everything bar probably um not not playing um to, <laughs> well he to, might as well have you know, played in some of them yeah and and to to negate the plans that Broad had you know he moved across his stumps he did this he did that and Broad just kept finding ways to, and, and you know, it wasn't just Warner, but Broad just kept finding ways to to get him out for fun. And, and he's done that to many batsmen over his career, but I wouldn't pick him just for that not walking in <laughs> oh, I, 07 I mean, or 08 or whatever it was. And yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, look at that. Let's just run through it quickly. You've sort of got Alistair Cook and Dave Warner opening the innings. Um, Steve Smith and Joe Root, Ricky Ponting, Ben Stokes. I mean, that's fantastic. Brad Haddon, I mean, I, I wasn't sure who you'd go with as a keeper because it is. It, I, I had a sort of think about it myself overnight and couldn't really come up with anyone who I'd have been really comfortable in that time frame. You know, Gilchrist only sort of snuck into that period for two or three years, as you've said. Um, Mitchell Johnson, Nathan Lyon, Glenn McGrath, you, you can't argue with any of it. And Jimmy Anderson, sort of Stuart Board, he's going to be 12th man, but we're not going to pick him. And I, I don't blame you if I'm 100% honest. Um Couple of yes, Shane Shane Warne sadly no longer with us. Of course, w wonderful bowler. We don't need to talk about him. I'm a, I'm slightly surprised. Um, was there any temptation to put the loudmouth himself, Kevin Peterson, in there? Yeah, certainly. Um, Peterson was was close. Michael Clark as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just probably looked at it from a from a holistic point of view. You know, Clark was a bit. Um, not well liked, bit of a pompous sort of rich boy. Um, whilst he was a great player, um, I sort of looked at it from it. You know, if I was if I was coaching this side, who I'd who I'd want in my side, yeah. And Peterson as well. You know, again, great player, really abrasive. You know that that <laughs> shit he did with the South Africans, where he was texting them <laughs> bowling plans and batting plans and and all that sort of stuff. And and obviously there, there were there were other things that went on. He'd be he'd be hard as much as he was a great player. I don't know that he'd he'd fit in my view of of a of a good team culture. Um, and yeah, same with Clark. You know those issues with with Kadic and when he thought he was a bit of a you know a bit of a superstar, which, which he he was. But you know he was he was leaving team bonding sessions, and it was more about him and being in underwear ads and the face of brands and and being a you know a, a superstar rather than you know being that working class cricketer that we had at the time and that's i so, mean yeah, that, they, they yeah. just missed out because they're just not great blokes that that's fair enough and i i, I wholeheartedly agree with your selection policy dan and um, before we go because we've, we've we've run on we're not run on this this podcast could go on forever and everyone I, it's fantastic hearing your, your wonderful thoughts on this i just wanted to prick your brains on sort of the current state of Australian cricket. And I just wanted to also, I do want to touch on Sandpaper Gate, although it was a long time ago now, but um, that's the first thing. So Australian cricket, you've, you you know, Langer's gone. He's he's gone into the press and he's, he's said he would, he feels a bit hard, harshly done by, he's put it down to politics. I assume that's internal politics, the reason. I mean, he left the role. He didn't get fired, did he? But um, are you as an Australian Andrew McDonald, we've seen a lot of him over here. He sort of cut his teeth in county cricket, really. But then he went on to, I mean, I was quite surprised. He then on, he went on to get some very high profile sort of franchise coaching roles as soon as he sort of went into coaching. Um, so he's obviously done something right. He obviously, he interviews well, I assume. And, and he has got a good, you know, you really look at his international and, it, and his first class record. It's not too bad at all. Um you as an Australian, are you happy with Andrew McDonald? Or were you sad to see Langer go? What was what's what's your thoughts on on the situation, Dan? Yeah, obviously, there's probably going to be more to come out in in due course. Obviously, I don't know whether you've seen Langer's uh, press. He was at a Western Australian Chamber of Commerce dinner, lunch, and, and and spoke. Um, he's throwing a few people under the bus. Probably the first time he's spoken quite candidly about what actually went on and. Um, it's obviously sort of, I think that was Thursday. It's all sort of blown up here over the weekend about what he said. And, 
um, some of the conversations that went on behind closed doors that we we weren't privy to. Yeah. Um, I think, and we'll go back to Sam Papergate, I think personally, I think Lehman let, he was obviously the coach at the time, let it sort of be a bit of a boys club. Right. Um, and obviously Cricket Australia would have blamed for this a, a bit as well, where winning was more important. Um, so, you know, we sort of stepped into a win at all costs um, mentality. And I think Lehman probably wasn't strong enough to pull Warner in. Clearly Smith wasn't. Um, yeah. Poor Cameron Bancroft is probably the, the biggest victim out of all of this. He'll, he'll probably, you know, he's, he's not really had the form that he had prior to this and he's had some, some mental health issues and things like that. And, and, you know, probably never get back to, to the Australian fold. Um, Cause he was you know, quite young at the time. So, yeah. So I think Cricket Australia needed Langer at the time, who was obviously, I mean, he had a good, great track record with WA cricket, the Perth Scorchers. So it sort of made a lot of people laugh when they said he was too hard and too brash and too abrasive I mean, that was him. Um, the, they the knew, they knew the what they were hiring then, didn't they? It, was, it, it wasn't like, oh, shit, what have we done? They knew who he was. And, and, they, and that's what they wanted. They, they wanted someone to come in and, and actually take back over and um, get, the, you know, get, the, get the yardstick out and, and pull some of these blokes who'd got probably bigger than the game, pull, pull yeah. their heads back in. Um, now, obviously, with that, there's, there's, a, there's a shelf life for those sorts of coaches that obviously, you know, yell and quite strong worded and things like that certainly in the modern era where these players get hurt feelings pretty quick it doesn't matter what what sport it is you know they get told no and they get upset or um yeah you know they they spend more time you know you need to pat them on the backside more than more than whacking with the yardstick so there's obviously a a lifespan for those sort of coaches especially you know when you're constantly dealing with the same players but i just think it was probably more Yes, his time was probably up, but it was probably the way they went about it, offering him a six-month contract just after he'd won the 2020 World Cup. Um, and the Ashes, I think, either... That was probably, that's probably what has annoyed him the most, is it was a bit of a slap in the face that either get rid of me and, and say that I've, I've done my time yeah. and be honest about it, or why, why offer me six months and tell me that's, that's it. Um, he'd obviously lost the players to a degree... Um, they want to have more control, which again goes back to I reckon where we were with Sandpaper Gate. They had all the control. Lehman just sort of sat back and let them let them run the show, which was was great until they got worried about their bonuses and and winning and being successful and this and that and and having to win at all costs. And yeah, in terms of yeah, McDonald, uh, I don't know. There's 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 varying stories about him. I, I certainly don't know him. I've not seen much about him. He was a bit of a bit of a bits and pieces cricketer who who plied a, a reasonable career in the UK and in some franchise cricketers. Twenty twenty cricket was coming in. He's yeah. obviously had a had a reasonable um, go on the coaching circuit. I just yeah, there's I sort of think a lot of people here are holding their breath, um, going well. You know, this is what the players wanted. They wanted him. They openly spoke about him and, you know, he's the man for the job, which I don't necessarily agree with in terms of, you know, if they're going through a process, the players should either shut up or, um, you know, they basically if, if they'd appointed someone else, it would have been incredibly awkward because this the players Cummins had come out and said, we want McDonald. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the next, the next year of cricket, they've got some tough tours, Sri Lanka, India, uh, Bangladesh, I think, and, 
and a tough summer against South Africa and, and you know, an up and down West Indies. Um, yeah, if, yeah. They, if things don't go well, they're, they're going to be criticised pretty quick. Whereas I think before all this happened, I think Cummins was, you know, put on a pedestal. He would look like the golden boy, the, the perfect um, role model, the perfect captain. Um, whereas now I think, yeah, not so much resentment, but there's a bit of air of caution that, yeah, you, it's your ship. You wanted you wanted it to be your ship. You guys wanted to be in control. Let's not go back to sandpaper, being dickheads, um, losing the plot like they did what, four or five years ago. Yeah, yes. Um, let's hope not. I mean, you 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 sort of went over it there, the, the whole incident. And anyone listening to this will, you know, we don't need to go over it. And, and it is interesting what you say about Cameron Bancroft. I mean, I think sadly. Um, he could go out there and sort of set the Sheffield Shield on fire. And I think it's probably just easier for Australia just not to pick him anymore, um, probably for the possibly the public backlash. I don't know. I'm not in Australia. Um, have, you know, you've got some very sort of fairly strong personal opinions on Mr. Warner. I think the cricketing sort of world has. I mean, you know, he seems to have calmed down a bit. I don't know, you know, his, is it the current wife or the ex-wife going on the survival, whatever program it was? I don't think that did him any favours. Um, Steve Smith seems to have been forgiven. Will he, uh, does he sit at vice-captain now or is he is he not on, on that seat anymore? Yeah, no, so he's he's vice. So, yeah, I, I mean, Cummins Cummin is obviously a few years younger than him, so yeah. provided it doesn't affect his his game, I think, you know, Cummins will, will be the captain for the next reasonable period. Um, obviously, yeah, he, he's a, you know, three-format player, so, um, and obviously had those back issues when he was young, so, you know, throwing that on him as well, whether he has to sacrifice a, a white ball format sooner rather than later, I I don't know. Um, yeah, so I would say Smith would probably ride out his his time as, as vice captain the next few years, and and that'll probably be as, as far as it, it, it goes for him, unless something drastically happens to Cummins. And then, yeah, I would think the next the next choice would be the next captain after Cummins in hopefully four or five years. Okay. Well, just um, just before we go, then we'll we'll wrap up in a minute. With this has been a fantastic chat, but um. Who have, you know, I couldn't really tell you. We've got Harry Brook, this young lad at Yorkshire who's, who's sort of, you know, you know, in wonderful form. He's hopefully going to be our sort of shining star. I think he was the under-19 skipper one or two years ago. But who's coming? You know, you said at the start of this podcast, you brought Kawaja back to open the innings in Test Cricket at 36. I mean, is there, is there, is there... A, is Sheffield Shield cricket strong at the minute, Dan? Or again, is are you going through a period like us potentially where, you know, you could have a few lean years coming come up and coming. You, you've got the likes of Warner, you know, if Kawaja has a good two seasons, he's not going to be playing test cricket much beyond 38, is he? Warner's up there in that age bracket. Um, who's coming through in shield cricket for us Englishmen to keep an eye on? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I think we're probably um, six or seven years behind where English cricket have probably got to now and hopefully a bit of a, a bit of a turning point for English cricket where we've now prioritised, obviously, the Big Bash. Um, it's basically played over the the, the best time of, of the summer. Yeah. Um, Sheffield Shields basically pushed to, to either side and, and it stops when the Big Bash is on, um, which they blew that up five or six years ago. They, they turned it from an eight-game season to round robin. So you're 14 games, 
Um, it goes on far too long. Everyone knows it except Cricket Australia because they make squillions of dollars out of the, the TV rights. As the, as the um, KFC, I think, don't they? <laughs> yeah, and I, but we're seeing it now here. You know, we're not getting the best overseas players because it goes too long. You know, why are you going to come over here for three months and play, you know, get paid reasonable money when you can play in the IPL for six weeks and probably get triple? Yeah. Um, plus, you know, most of them over here over Christmas and things like that. So the overseas players have really dropped. Obviously, our test summer is on like yours while the big bash is on. So the best 18 players don't play in the big bash either. So you're winding up with, with no names um, playing. So crowd numbers have dropped, viewing's dropped. So yeah, Sheffield Shield cricket, it's a real hard one because they, they play a block of five. Um, it's gotten earlier and early starting in September. Um, Crikey, that, that now, is early. Is, <laughs> yes, you know, like you guys starting in April, it, you yeah. know, you, you washouts, green wickets, um, you know, they try and play up in Queensland a bit where it's a bit bit dry, Darwin, things like that. Um, and then, yeah, a back-end block. This year, it finished in mid-April. The, the final was in mid-April, which was, I think, it's the latest finish it's ever had um, or second latest finish it's ever had. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, our shield cricket's becoming less and less important. You know, we're <clears throat> picking players who are struggling in, in test series on, on big bash form or what they look like in the nets because there's no shield cricket. Um, so yeah, in terms of players to watch, obviously you saw Scott Boland, who I know yeah. is um, 31, 32, but he, he's had a really good plight his trade a fair bit in, in Shield cricket. Hopefully he's got a few good years in him. Travis Head came back um, quite well, and he, he's age-wise, he's got a few good years in him, and, he, and he's obviously captain of, of South Australia. You know, he touted as a <coughs> potential leader and, and things like that. There's a there's a young lad in the West, Teague Wiley. Um, okay. He's only about 18, 19, uh, made his Shield debut towards the end of the year. Um, he looks like he's he's going to be, you know, one one to watch. Um, concerning openers for Australia, Marcus Harris, I don't think he's he's up to it. And obviously, yeah, we've got the two 35, 36-year-olds in in Warner and Kawaja, how long they can they can go on for. Um, I don't know. So yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, our, our shield cricket's not televised here, so you're only getting it off off phone, okay. score cards, apps, things like that. They, they televised the final, which is yeah. generally New South Wales, and they load it up with all the Australian players if if Australia's here. So basically the poor 11 blokes that have played pretty much throughout the year, six of them get dropped for Warner, Lyon, Stark, Hazelwood um, when they where's come back. The, and Where's the uh, young lad who suffers? Who suffered the concussions? What's his name? P- yeah, Pekoski. Yeah, he's... I don't know. It's, it, he's a can obviously play. The, he got his last concussion before the Shield season finished. He was having a kick with a with a soccer ball, football, uh, tapped it into his own face and uh, concussed him. Didn't knock him out, but um, concussed him bad enough that he had to have another month off. He ended up coming back and playing the last Shield game, which I think everyone here um, thought was ridiculous. Like, why don't you just have the rest of the season off? And um, you know, he's had fifteen concussions in most of them in the last four or five years. Yeah. Um, and you talk, it's, it's big in the AFL now about concussion and protocols. And, you know, there's been blokes that have retired after six or seven concussions in a short period. And people are starting to wonder how doctors can actually pass him medically fit. If, you know, something that innocuous, you know, he, he knocks his head on a, on a door and knocks himself out or a soccer ball is leading to dizziness and things like that. I think he, 
much as he can play, I'm not sure that you know he, he everyone just bowls short at him and he's gonna yeah, he's, he he's clearly gonna can't play the short ball. Yeah. Um, I think one one more serious concussion, I think you he, he'll be it has to be done if you for a kid who's 22, 23, he's got to think about when he's 45. Um, yeah. and you know, whether this is going to be you know, all the stuff they're finding out about NFL players and AFL players, you know. Parkinson's and motor neuron disease and those things in, in later life from these concussions, you, yeah, I don't think he'll as much as he can play. I don't think he'll have a have a long career. Unfortunately, I think he's he's probably one or two concussions away from having to. Someone's got to tap him on the shoulder and say, "Mate, you, yeah, you, you can't do this." Yeah, some someone will step in, won't they? Probably like I'm sadly going to have to step in now and say uh, we're probably going to have to wrap this up as much as we could keep talking forever. Um, I think what is what is good is that we can certainly get you back on in the future Dan I mean I knew this would be a great chat and your, your your knowledge of the game you know you are a cricket tragic yourself and it's wonderful I can talk about cricket forever as well so it's been wonderful catching up with you it's been wonderful talking about those lions a little bit as well um thank you so much for coming on I'll just run the usual don't forget everything I said at the beginning. If you're watching us on YouTube, like and subscribe. Please follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify. Give us a follow. Give us a review, you know, and, and drop a couple of quid into that. Buy me a coffee if you've got a couple going spare. It all helps keep the podcast going. Dan Giles, you've been a fantastic guest. It's wonderful to see you being successful in business and, and successful as a father, mate. Thank you for joining us on Warmer CC, a podcast. Thank you.